Good morning, wonderful listeners. You've tuned into Post Session Podcast, a podcast filled with the stoke of a surf session and the wise guidance of an ocean voyager. Your water-loving hosts are ready to share this infectious state of mind while encouraging and inspiring you for for your next adventure. adventure. All right. Welcome back, PSP listeners. Hello. I wish we were on video. We are. You know, no, yeah, oh, wait, we can probably use this video. I know. Yeah, we're recording on Zoom. So Post Session Podcast is recording on Zoom today because we have Laramie Brown here from, you're in Columbia, right? Well, that's, I'm, I'm wor- I work in Columbia. Uh, I actually live in a little town called Edgefield. It's, it's just south of Columbia. Okay. South Carolina, either way, near the yeah, armpit. South Car- exactly. Yep. Yeah. Stanky and hot. Sorry. Thanks for being here. We have Laramie here because uh, Laramie's a, you hear the dog barking? I'm We're just going to roll through it. We're going to roll through <laughs> it. Um, he is a missionary. He's lived on the mission field for many years. How many years? Yeah. So it was about eight years total. Yeah. Eight, eight years total, a few different places. We're going to talk about all of that. I met Laramie because he came to do one of our free diving classes, which I definitely like to get into. Uh, Laramie's a runner, so I immediately resonated with that too. And um, and an author also, yeah. which you can speak into a little mm-hmm. bit, Laurel, because Laurel wrote a book as well. So anyway, yeah, welcome Laramie. And you want to take it? You want to get us going? No, you go ahead. What are we doing? Post-session notes. So I sent you the structure of our podcast. Yes. So we'll just run through it. The first part, first segment are our post-session notes, which is where we share kind of our last foray in the ocean, typically. Laurel talks about surfing. Okay. <laughs> that's what it, That's what we do during post-session okay. notes. So let's awesome. let Laurel start. Okay. Um, oh, should, should we let Laramie start? Do you have something, Laramie? When was your last? Uh, let's let our guest start. Yeah. Because I don't think we guests. actually, we said hello before we started recording, but I don't know if you got to say hello to our listeners. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So my my last foray in the ocean. So it was, I uh, uh, haven't gotten in the ocean very much, but the last time I was in the water was in, in a lake. Uh, and it was. We let those it, count. You know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that okay. counts. That counts. <laughs> a, a little over a week ago, and and uh, I work in a scuba shop. I've been working there. It's Scuba Johns in Lexington, South Carolina. I've been working there since June, um, in a in a major shift, you know, in life change. But it's been amazing, and I was there. I just completed my dive master on this recreational scuba side through SDI, and. They're a heavy technical diving shop. And so I just took my first intro to tech course and mm. it was, in, it was incredible. Uh, the, the, the owners are great. They're, they're very confident. And so it was, it was a very good course. I was in double tanks for the first time learning how to do valve drills and that kind of stuff. And they, not only did they not take it easy on me, but they, <laughs> they turned it up because I worked for them. But they did it in such a way that it it made me want to rise to the challenge, and and so I was able to to complete the class and do very well. And uh, 
and leave out of there with some confidence. And it was so fun. It, it was it was an amazing time. And what lake were y'all in? In at uh, Lake Jocassi. Okay. Oh, oh, you went to Jocassi. Yeah. We do a class there every year. Up in Lake Jocassi. So I, for our listeners, I guess the technical part of the class is just equipment or like, what does that mean? Yeah. So there, so the, you know, the PFI uh, is associated with SDI and TDI. So the TDI is the technical side and that's basically getting outside of recreational limits, preparing you to do decompression diving. And Mm. so that was, this class was just an intro to that so that you, you learn the equipment and, a lot of focus is on maintaining neutral buoyancy and being in trim so that when you actually do decompression diving, that you can do it safely. You can make your stops safely. Well, we, we, we talk about trim and surfing. Yeah. What does it mean in uh, diving? So buoyancy is, you know, your, your ability to maintain your position in the water column, but trim is actually, I guess your, uh, the the way that your body sits and horizontal in the water is what is what you want for being on scuba. That that's ah. your trim. It's being perfectly horizontal in the water column. And we do the same thing, but in a vertical position. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. And my board would be in trim with the wave when it's vertical. I mean awesome. horizontal. Yeah. Horizontal. Yeah. 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 Laying or vertical. Little... You never know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Depending. Um, um, that diving he's doing is what I would consider dangerous yeah. <laughs> as a free it's, diver. I think mm, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Why, what, why is that? Well, you're just very gear dependent. Yes. Okay. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things, uh, rules and, and, and steps you have to follow every single time. And then, you know, you're relying on, on your gear. Which and is, if it, something scary. goes wrong with it, you you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you said you work for them in what capacity? Because I thought you were a missionary. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I work for them. I just mainly they hired me because they needed somebody in the retail side of their shop. And so I uh, I've been I just completed my dive master certification. And so this is the the missionary life has been put on hold for the moment. Um, and so I'm doing this so I can kind of recover. So there's, there's a lot to that and I'm happy to share some of that today. Uh, and yeah, we'll get into that. Some Mm -hmm. of the details I probably won't share, but, um, but the, but the big picture I'm, I I would like to share. Yeah. Well, you're always on mission, even if you're not overseas, you're, you've got a mission right there in the shop, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that is that is absolutely true. Yeah. So um, I did not surf this morning, but I did go out. I know it was a little, a lot of north wind. Like I guess at um, six o'clock this morning, which is usually you know barely any wind. We've already feeling the effects of what may be Hurricane Nicole, Tropical mm-hmm. Storm Nicole, and um, a lot of wind out of the north. The northeast is where it's cycling around, I guess, spinning. But anyway, so yeah. didn't look great. But yesterday it was not just a little bit, and uh, we had the swell already, so that was fun. A uh, friend did get, um, there was a little entanglement. 
And so just as a warning out there of, you know, they were two friends, been on the water a long time, and we all make mistakes. Um, but when mistakes are made, people get injured and equipment gets messed up. So there was a collision. Um, somebody had taken off going left, and then somebody else took off a little bit further down the wave and went right. And a board was dinged and the ankle was cut and uh. ended the session early. So where a look, a hard look, probably would have prevented that. Yeah. So somebody need to look and somebody needed to 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 bail out quicker. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, oh, what's gonna hell? Oh, never mind. Yeah. 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 So um, I mean, I wasn't really on the front side. I couldn't see it all, but I did see the first guy take off and but you know, we all make mistakes. It's going to happen, but you, you hate to see it happen. And, but, but anyway, I still got to, I didn't know what had happened. So I didn't have to go in and check on anybody because I didn't well, realize. Thank any- goodness you didn't have to come to the rescue. <laughs> I stayed out there surfing till I couldn't surf anymore and uh, had a really fun time. And <laughs> Laurel's a surfer that goes all the time. Not just when it's good. She's out there, whether it's when it's bad, out, bad, good. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So her standards are low. So I'm trying exactly. to say. Well, we Very have to have standards. pretty low standards on the <laughs> East Coast anyway to yeah, exactly. call ourselves surfers because otherwise you wouldn't go very often if you only surf pristine. No. Good waves. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> How about you, Ash? What's your post-session note? Girl, I haven't been doing any diving. I haven't been in the water. Ashley's about to run a marathon this weekend. So oh. I guess we'll let her post-session note be... That's, not in the water. Yep, not in the water. <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it this weekend. And I, I complained during the last podcast that my knee started acting up several weeks ago. So my long runs were kind of put on hold. But I did do eight miles yesterday, kind of a shakeout just to feel it. And everything felt good. I think you you prayed for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I needed that. I've been stressing about it, you know what I mean? But it felt great yesterday. Oh, good. Felt the Lord great. is is dependable. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I guess I'm going to do another couple runs this week, just like shorter stuff. And then once I'm out there, it doesn't matter if the knee hurts or not. It's like, screw it. Whatever happens, happens. We'll deal with it later. So that's that's where we are right now. And where is the marathon? Richmond. Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, Richmond. And the whole fun. family's going? The whole family's going, except yeah. the dogs. <laughs> I'm trying to pawn one of our dogs off on Laurel. But we um it, it's gonna be a fun marathon because they have these bands positioned throughout the thing and you know. Oh, but that I, sounds awesome. It'll be awesome. I should have invited you to run with me. Yeah, actually I haven't ran since uh, so about three weeks before I took your class, I, I think I mentioned I hit a deer mm-hmm. on my motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in some recovery still when I took the class and I just got out of sync and I actually haven't ran at all, uh, since then, but, and, and normally that's, uh, so that's very unusual for me. I love to run. And so I'm, I definitely want to get back into it. It's just been, once you're out of it, then taking yeah. those steps to get back in <laughs> has been, I don't have necessarily a good place to run 
right where I'm at, but you know, you make it work just like, you know, Laurel said with yeah. the surfing, you know, if you like to surf, you get out there and you figure it out. So I uh, just haven't work. had the, <laughs> I haven't mustered up the motivation to get back out there and, and run in less than ideal conditions. So that's the uh, hardest part. It's just this, just getting going again. Cause yeah. you know, it's going to suck a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, cool. Let's move into the injustice of the week. Week. Week, week. We'll never stop doing that. Never. So now we're going to talk about the injustice of the week. And in the email, I wrote yes. that you would provide this. Do you have something figured out? Because Laurel always has one on tap. Well, I want to just say also, one of our regular listeners said, you know, what about somebody that's doing something right? You know, mm. instead of just the injustice, maybe it's somebody injustice serving up some week? injustice. Oh, well, that's I put that phrase up kind of that like that was good. You're a writer, <laughs> so we'll have to think about that. But yeah, we will. Yeah, we're not trying to be negative, Debbie Downers over here. Yeah. That's not what we're trying. <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a good point, you know, uh, focusing on what somebody's doing that's positive because there's definitely plenty to find out there. Yeah. Um, you know, the injustices. And I, I thought about it. There's, there was a toss up between two. It's just that because one of them is more ongoing uh, and it affects me very personally. The other one was kind of more ambiguous. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with the, the one that maybe not, you know, wasn't specific to this past week, but, uh, but is more ongoing and, and really impacts my, my story, I guess. And that's just, hmm. Oh, I guess the, yeah. <laughs> I, I like funny injustices. Matter of fact, this will be our last, if it's a difficult, sad injustice yeah. from now on. <laughs> we'll do, do a it. funny one. Yeah. Well, it was always meant to be a comedic little break in the thing, but it's it's taking a turn. <laughs> I push for the heavy. Yeah. I push. Oh, for the okay. Heavy. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> It's okay, uh, but please. Continue. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure from the from the layout what went. Uh, I I've dealt with a lot of injustice, so uh, so there would be right. a, a, Your a whole smorgasbord story is, to, to pick yes. from. But but I guess the the biggest impact to me personally, you know, and maybe this would segue some, has just been the the handling of the the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee, uh, you know, mm -hmm. specifically, and then the outworkings of that and all of the the individual churches and just the Southern Baptist convention seems, you know, the, a great majority of church leadership, their inability uh, to handle the sexual abuse cases uh, in a way that really honors the victims. And so that's. Uh, so you'll have to tell our listeners what, 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 what is that? Yeah. Some of our listeners aren't believers and they're not plugged into maybe even a majority. Yeah. Maybe even the majority. So yeah. Tell us, give us some background. Sure. So some background and I'll, I'll try to, um, uh, I'm going to think of a way to, <laughs> to, 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 to be concise, I guess. And, and I guess just that, especially over, it seems like the last 20 years or so, there's been a lot of uh, sexual abuse that's happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has happened at the hands of people that are in leadership positions. 
And when you say and convention, are you saying it's happening at an event or it's happening across a wide swath right. of in the overarching organization? Okay. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for, for asking that question. It's a very good question. And that is, so the Southern Baptists, the, the denomination that is, is organized, um, I guess the, the main top level leadership, they, they consider themselves not top down and that all of the, the governmental political type decisions basically happen at a local level. They consider that local church autonomy, um, meaning that the local church has the ability, you know, to make decisions for themselves, regardless basically of what the top level says. But, and the, the only the only real power, I guess, that's wielded is that they can be disfellowshipped. Like, hey, you're no longer in fellowship with our. I'm with sure our that has some kind of that has some kind of financial. Oh yes, yes, mm -hmm. definitely, and that's dependent on the the level, I guess, of the, how large the church is and how mm -hmm. much they're bought in and that kind of stuff. But yes, there can be financial consequences for that. So. Uh, I guess, and so they're organized this way, and they they meet, they send messengers, is what it's called, from each local church to the convention, and and the convention convenes, and that's when the large larger body denominational decisions are made. Is at the convention. Okay. So, and and that, so that's how they're they're organized governmentally. Okay. So that's a more of a congregational model, uh, meaning and that the yeah. The decisions are ha the decisions mostly happen at the local level. And so it's supposed to work anyway. It sounds so exactly yeah. in theory. <laughs> exactly. And so not what I've how seen. you have a problem with how they handled it. And so how did they handle it that you find fault with, I guess? is So I'll. Uh, I'm going to again, try to be concise. And I, I apologize if I jump around and please, like you just did, jump in, interrupt me, ask questions if it's not making sense, because some of this is very emotional. Uh, and so I, um, I may jump around, I may forget what I'm saying. And <laughs> so get, get off on a, uh, you know, get derailed emotionally or something. But um, I guess I'll, how what, what's actually happened? I'll try to, to give out some facts. Mm -hmm. So over the past few years, when the, the convention convenes, um, some, some uh, abuse survivors have spoken at the convention and they've said, you know, these things have happened to us. And it seems that a majority of the messengers, the the delegates from local churches have have spoken up and said, hey, we want an independent investigation to happen. You know, yes. we want we want this to really push forward. We want to uncover what's going on here for the you know, the people that have done these things to be held accountable. And which and is great. Like, yes, it, it is. Well, and law enforcement must be involved. Right. I mean. It, it, that, yes, yes. And, and I guess this exposes a larger, you know, Issue. problem of, of abuse victims, you know, not, not really, you know, aren't, 
by and large, not able to see justice happen for them. You know, so it's, would, it's rare. Would you say that part of what you're saying is, is that maybe a abuse survivor shares with their pastor or somebody in charge that's maybe not the perpetrator or whatever, but in an effort to um, save face with the community or the church at large, it gets swept under the rug. So no authorities are called. Yes. And oh, this is a big problem. That's a, that, you know, because the, the local church feels like they have all that power mm -hmm. and that, Hey, we don't need to involve. This is a spiritual issue. We're going to handle this in house. That's yes. messed up. That's a yes. big injustice. And yes. I think that those people should be held accountable like if you're not reporting it to the law, that is a crime. Right. It, it is a crime. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a crime. If you're so, a, in a in a position of authority like that, you know, most states consider you a mandatory reporter. Absolutely. Oh, I feel like like my little heart is racing right now to like not only do the people that perpetrated need to be held accountable, but the people that swept it under the rug should absolutely yes. be held accountable. And yes. your injustice, it, you know, of course the actual abuse is an injustice in itself, but the injustice that you're bringing up is that you have this big, huge, very powerful money-making uh, church body yeah. that is um, mishandling the situation much like, you know, the Catholics have been held at, oh, yeah. at fault for doing for, for very similar hundreds very similar. of years, probably right. um, much like uh, the Scientologists, much like um, the Liberty University issues. Yes. You know, it's yeah. all just so corrupt. So <clears throat> when I'm looking at these things and reading about them and, and thinking about them, it, people lose a lot of uh, faith in the church's ability to disciple anybody because their yeah. their house is so dirty you know how can you clean mine if your house is so dirty yeah. so what where do we go from here yeah so that's a really good question you know i i guess you know personally and i i, I would definitely like to maybe even come back to what you mentioned how do we disciple people in the midst of that because that's that's been a struggle but you know personally so uh, I guess I didn't intend when I initially went on the mission field to Haiti and I, I wasn't directly a missionary with the, like the international mission board, which is the international branch of the Southern Baptists. I, I went with a different organization and eventually formed my own organization. That's, that's denominate. It's a non-denominational uh, organization, but I was, my spiritual oversight was through a local Southern Baptist church. And I was ordained, uh, through that church. And, um, but when I went, went on the mission field initially, it was to do orphan care. And, you know, I, uh, but through that, I don't know, it, I ended up, what I ended up doing most of the time, uh, my wife and I together was, helping people uh, in one way or, or another that had been through, you know, major abuse and neglect. I mean, things that are, you know, un, un, unimaginable. And, Horrific. And then once we, we got that experience, I guess, then we got more training and got more, you know, education. And I learned a lot more about trauma and what it does. And then not only, 
you know, academically, but experientially, uh, Haiti, Haiti was rough. Uh, we were in Haiti for a little less than three years. And, mm-hmm. um, and then when we went to, we went to Slovenia for a little less than two years and then Southern France to Marseille for, for a year. And in all those places, because it was just like, Hey, okay, you've got experience with this. People would come to us and we uh. would just hear case after case. And, even, you know, things that were happening in the, you know, or that had happened in the local church by, uh, you know, church people that were in authority in those, those churches. Mm. So, uh, and then when we came back from the mission field, I mean, I was pretty broken. We came back in March of 2021 back to the U S and, uh, so just the, the, it seemed like the, the primary people, that God had brought, you know, connected us to minister to that, that primary group of, of survivors, there was a, a conflict in values between the people that we were helping and the organization that was our spiritual authority. And so, um, I, I mean, I, so I, I don't know, I came to a, a place of really dark depression where I needed some, some uh real professional help and then uh through that i'm I'm happy to share a little more about that but well it's trauma i'm trying to yeah i'm trying to uh to answer you know the the question that you asked and but i think it's fair it's fair to you know at some point we'll also maybe talk about like how traumatizing it is to work with trauma victims. Oh yeah, yeah exactly so that's yeah there's that and also going (laughs) back to the you know, the denominational issues. I mean, did you find that you were more effective not being associated with a particular denomination? Well, that, that's where, uh, that's the, that's where I came to that conclusion because I, I do believe in, you know, the, the value of the local church. I, I do believe that, that denominations have value. There's, cause there needs to be accountability. You know, I, I believe in healthy mm-hmm. accountability and even from, you know, a spiritual realm, perspective you know what's happening in the spiritual realm you know there there's a certain amount of authority that that's respected in the spiritual realm and so um you know i i i did come to the conclusion that i could no longer uh be associated with the southern baptist convention and so i i actually pulled back from my local church and uh i've actually been attending in lexington uh, an anglican church and it's been good for me. I've just been attending there. You know, it's it's very simple. <laughs> I don't know. And there's not a lot of expectation. There's at least right now, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot going on that that's 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 negative that I would have to deal with. And so just for my own personal spiritual growth, uh, I've been attending that church. Um, and so that's well, I think it's a valid thing to, you know, you pour out as a missionary or any, any service in a church. And then there's, there's also when you get to a place of brokenness or, I mean, we're all broken, but like true brokenness of, you know, I've, I've been exposed to this much. There's only so much our human bodies were made to receive. And then, so now (laughs) you're in a place of healing and receiving and not, you know, I think the Lord, gives us seasons for a yeah. reason. And and so yeah. right now there's a season of receiving and resting and healing. And so that there'll be another time of, of 
you know, charging out with, you know, new orders, but. And the function of the church is to make sure that we do stay filled up to do our work. And when your job and you're, you're remote, you know, you're far away from everybody. Um, and your job is to just keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out with few resources to get kind of refilled. I could imagine that that starts to add up pretty quick. And then to have the box kicked out from under you because yeah. suddenly the organization that is the one that's your support or authority or, or help or whatever is not reputable. Yeah, right. So yes. that that foundational thing that's holding you up is suddenly a three-legged stool, then, you know, you're out there on a, <laughs> on a very wobbly precipice. And yeah, hopefully yeah. Um, it's, um, it's good to hear that you are in, you know, a new church and, and finding a place of rest and. So, well, and that you yeah, maintained your faith because people yeah. with a lot of church hurt, will pull out, yeah. you know, you see it all the time. They're, they're just done with it. Yeah. I don't mean a specific church. I mean, with their faith altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot. And I, I under, you know, I empathize mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. And I, I, and my, I have three board members right now uh, with, for my organization and all three of them have been an incredible support to me and my family through everything that we've been through and, you know, they've been supportive. So uh, basically, you know, what, what we stopped doing, we just sent out letters to our supporters and said, Hey, you know, we're going to take a step back. We're going to basically put any vocational, regular vocational ministry on hold for the projected future for the moment, you know, and, and uh, so if you have other places, you know, that just pray about where God can ask you to, to send that support that you were sending it to sending to us and, you know, send it to somebody else for now. We're just, I, I'm not taking any salary and we're not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, asking for any support at the moment. We're just kind of on hold. And my, my board members, you know, they, one of them, especially cause he goes, he still goes to the church that, uh, that I was attending and that was our spiritual oversight. He's like, you know, I, I don't really understand cause I haven't, I just don't know all the stuff that's going on, uh, but I support, you know, your, I believe that God has called you. I believe that he's leading you and I support your decisions. You know, I'm still going to go to this church, but, you know, as far as the, this, our, our organization, he said, you know, I'm, I'm supporting you. Yeah. He may need to be in that church. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes. Um. Well, maybe we should talk. We're already in Godwaters. I mean, Right, we've already we're like in the. <laughs> well, we're of the about thing. to. Our next step is to dive deeper. Like, obviously, we're not going to solve this injustice right. of the week, <laughs> yeah. but but I do see like as you're telling me this, like what a you know because Ashley's told me a little bit about you, and I okay. look forward to hearing more about that in the dive deeper of maybe some of the experience that you had in Haiti, but uh. I do see you being a, a warrior for change. Maybe uh, you may, I'm sure you love being in ministry out in the field, but yeah. there is a field right here, you yes. know, in, in the church <clears throat> governing bodies that needs a champion to 
call, be called back to accountability, um, uh, representation and handling things well. And so as a person that's seen, you know, the abuse, you've been on multiple sides of and then been on the receiving end of a or the church body or whatever and being in leadership maybe a, an ideal candidate for someone eventually, you know, yeah. to go back okay. in. Okay, so what Laurel's saying is <laughs> you need to be fixing the Southern Baptist Convention while you're here. <laughs> you need to just attack it. Well, I think it's bigger than the Southern Baptist, but yeah. I think they, you know, because obviously the Catholics had the same thing, and I can't help but think when you're telling that story, the abuse that pops in my mind is the same group of men who turn their back on a female speaker. Like oh, yeah. so that that disrespect of women. Yeah. That yeah. runs from the top Gosh. to the bottom mm -hmm. of whether it's sexualized, you know, yes. <laughs> all of that and I just see, uh, I think Jesus wants to just spit that out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I mean, that's my interpretation Jesus, I don't know, but yeah, you know. You tell us. You tell us. <laughs> anyway, uh, so like there's a deep issue there that is grossly wrong and not line up with Jesus's love for people and his champion of of women and those that are seen as the least of these or the the weaker or the whatever. Yeah. But I I agree. Well, I think um now that we're diving deeper, maybe we'll just from a practical you know, perspective. Let's talk about your your overseas missions because a lot of us, you know, we know that we're supposed to be on mission and we're supposed to be making disciples and doing these things, but not everybody drops everything to do that. You know, not everybody really takes it on and leaves home and and goes out in the field. And you took your whole family. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. your wife must be super cool. <laughs> <laughs> she is she is yes and then how, what what happened you guys decided hey let's do this we're going to haiti yeah so again there's a big long story to everything in my life i guess the most concise way to describe how we ended up in haiti we homeschooled our kids i was i had previously been in the, so I was in the Navy and then worked as a government contractor for a lot of years. And so I was working as a, as a government contractor and we, we homeschooled our kids. It was one of the easiest ways for them to travel everywhere that I had to go, they could go with me. So, and as a part of our homeschool history projects, I assigned them to get on the CIA world fact book uh, and just look up a country and then give me a report on the country when I would get home in the evenings. And so they they looked up Haiti. I guess it had probably been in the news or something, or mm -hmm. this would have been maybe it was probably around 2010 when when this earthquake. So, so the earthquake time yeah. frame. Yeah. And they 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 gave me the report anyway. And all of the statistics kind of just stood out the mortality rates for you know the all of that stuff you know the the bad water like everything that's just on there that's just you know the facts that they have anyway and so we just felt led to start praying for haiti and that led us we didn't know any missionaries didn't know anybody there we just because of that project 
just felt led to begin praying. And then in 2013, we had the opportunity to do a short-term mission trip. And then with uh, that same organization, uh, we were asked to basically come back on as full-time missionaries. And so in 2014, uh, mid-2014, we went back to Haiti as uh, full-time missionaries to manage an, an orphanage. Cool. Yeah. So then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so then, oh my goodness. <laughs> then our eyes became opened pretty quick to, and and the, the best way I can, I've tried to describe this different ways. And the, and the best way I think of it now is, is to think of orphan care. And this is any kind of international orphan care for sure in a spectrum uh, because it's rare. And I know this might be shocking to, to you and shocking to the, your listening audience, but it's rare to find an actual orphan in an orphanage. And that's, that's anywhere, uh, especially internationally. So thinking of orphan orphanages, orphan care institutions on a spectrum You'd have everywhere from the ones on the, the good end, I'd say, the ones that are really trying to help that really, you know, what for whatever reason, they ended up with a child and they're truly dedicated to what, do what's what's best for that child. You know, that'd mm -hmm. be on the good end. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually that's what we would one, expect orphan yeah, care. Would ex be. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's and so there's there's those and I'd say those are very rare, very, very rare. I uh, ran across. You know, pretty much one, uh, maybe two, you could consider the time that I was in Haiti. And even then, that you know, they had lots of lots of issues, but they they were really dedicated to what was best. They really want, you know, their heart was to do what was right. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, all the way on the other end of the spectrum, and there's a spectrum here, uh, are the ones that are truly predatory, you know, mm -hmm. that are trafficking kids for whatever form of exploitation they can get out of them. So that would be the, the, the far end. And how many weeks. orphanages were you involved or had connect, you know, interactions? So, with? so uh, we were, we were hired to basically or brought on to manage one. Uh, well, there was, and they, they had two in their network. So, um, and we only lasted seven months before and, the, and they would still be what I would consider, you know, on the farther end of, of the good ones. Okay. Uh, but still there was so many ethical issues that we could not continue after seven months. We were like, we can't in good conscience, take money from supporters and be in this mm -hmm. position because you have way too many uh, bad ethical issues going on here that, you know, I think maybe your heart was good in the beginning, but now it seems that you just want to continue the stream of income and sure. it's not going to where I think the supporters believe that it's going to. So, so we, we didn't last with them. And so we moved out and that's when we formed our own organization. I was preaching at a local church and uh, they, they had an English speaking service on, on Sunday nights. It was a Haitian church. And the pastor of the Haitian church asked me, you know, even though you're leaving that organization, you've been preaching here, I want you to continue. Would you consider that? And so we stayed in that role and uh, entered into a more specific disciple making, you know, role at that time. And that's when we formed the, the organization that was in 
uh, early in 2015 called Disciples Outpost. And that's that's how we functioned uh, since then. And is that is this next part when you went into a really bad orphanage? Yeah. Okay. So so we just moved into a we 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 left the organization that we were with with we rented a house in the community and tried basically to live as close as we could to the level of your average Haitian that was, Mm -hmm. which was, I don't know if I necessarily recommend that there were, Mm -hmm. there were good things that came out of it. I mean, we, we had an empathy and a connection that we wouldn't have had otherwise and exposure and all of that stuff. We had credibility, all those good things, but it was very hard on my whole family. It was very poor. it (laughs) It took a, big toll on us emotionally and f- and physically even mm. so uh um but anyway that's when we moved into that that rent house right next door to us we the very first day that we were there we had kids come over to our house and by that time i kind of had a at least a uh you know my finger on the pulse of the the bad side of orphan care and then we could speak the language good enough that I could communicate with the kids. And I mean, right away, you know, they came over, um, they were Did asking you, for f- Can I interrupt food. you? Go ahead. Don't yes, interrupt please. the guest. Yeah, yeah. It's I okay. Did. Yes. No, interrupt. I, well, I gave her permission before we started. Interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Getting into the story. Well, I just wanted, yep. I know I am too, but I have to know, did you know there was an orphanage right next door when you rented the <laughs> no, house? Wow. I had no idea. Look at that. No. That was like a God thing, but okay, yeah, go ahead. It was definitely, oh, so many God, I mean, so many miraculous things. I mean, I mean, it felt like, I mean, that was, so that was the good side. I felt very close to the Lord during that time. And he was just like, it felt like he was really guiding me every day and he would show up and do things that were miraculous. It seemed like almost daily. And so that was, that was definitely the good side, but, but I just asked them, they were hungry. We, I think we might have given them some food and I, I, I'm very careful to how, um, I guess I'm minister to the materially poor and and we learned a lot in Haiti. There's a really good book called when helping hurts. That's oh, a good place yeah. to start. Mm-hmm. If you That's haven't read that, one. I recommend mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Yeah. And uh, so at Dave, yeah, uh, Steve Corbett and uh, Brian Fickert. Um, but anyway, they, I asked them point blank. I'm like, Oh, you know, we're, we're you know, where are you, where you live in? Oh, we live in this orphanage next door. And my very next question, oh, do you have parents? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we have parents. Oh yeah, I figured you did. <laughs> um, do you have their phone numbers? Do you have contact? Oh yeah, we have their phone numbers. We've got contact with them. And so, you know, that led into what became the next two years of, of our life. Um, I don't even know, you know, how to, how to make that how to shorten the story other than to say, you know, the big question is usually, well, how did the kids end up there? Yeah. Um, it sounds it, you know, and I know that you've got a heart for all the people you were working with and these children and everything like that, but the whole thing just reeks of complete and, and total destitution. Oh yeah. You know, from yeah, yeah. when you very first minutes ago said that most of the orphans were not orphans, just yeah. the kids in the, to me, that just it's desperation makes me think that everyone, yeah, the organization yeah. you worked for before the the orphanage must have been just completely desperate. Otherwise, why yeah. would they? But anyway, yeah. 
So yeah, and it, and it does, you know, and and then who who's the most vulnerable? You know, when you're dealing with predators, they deal with the most vulnerable. They or they go after the most vulnerable prey. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. just seems to be um, something that's consistent. So when you you started interacting with these kids next door. And then what happened? Phone, phone number from the parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's a lot, a lot began to unfold and began to happen. And it wasn't always like I just would, I guess, react to what was happening more than I didn't formulate a plan and say, okay, we're going to go help these kids. Mm -hmm. It was more like I was already tapped out, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. just, I mean, and I learned what it's like to just be stuck in that really survive mode. If one thing breaks down, you know, like we might not have enough food for the day, you know, or Mm -hmm. or whatever, that kind of thing. Uh, And we all had various sicknesses. And so we're constantly just juggling just the the normal day-to-day survival stuff. And I would react when the kids would come and bring something that I felt like I could not ignore. And I would Mm -hmm. have to, I I felt like I was pressed or backed into a corner or something to where my conscience wouldn't allow me to do anything, but, you know, begin to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't a plan. It was just like God, I felt like God was bringing me, these kids and I, I couldn't ignore what was going on and I would just take one step and then it would lead to another step and then another step and God would open doors. And so. Well, give us a uh, few specifics because our listeners won't know what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess one of the things I would like to say is, you know, the question is how, how do these kids end up here? And there's a variety of reasons why they end up in orphanages in general, but these specific ones will give you, there's, they're, you know, individual story. They told me, they said, you know, I was in my village. A lady came to my village and she told my parents, if you give me one of your kids, I will ensure that they are taken care of, that they're educated, that they get three meals a day. Eventually what's going to happen is they're going to get a visa to go to the United States They're going to send money back to you from the United States. And then once they're established in the U.S., they're going to send for you uh, and give you visas. And then you can go to the United States. Mm. So that was the story that was told um, to these to these parents to give up their kids. And and so the kids were, I mean, scared to death all the Mm. time. They were living in fear. And so they were afraid to tell their parents what was really happening to them and just, you know, various levels of neglect and abuse that was happening to them. And how old are these kids? uh, All the way from infant to 18. So all the children. Say that again. So they didn't have like a, because it seems like it'd be easier to control maybe this age group as opposed to a, or had the 18 year olds probably been in it for so long. Yeah. That, and that's, that's exactly what it was. And the ones that we mostly saw were in the probably 12 year old range. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the ones that we mostly would see that would actually come to our house that had some level of freedom and actually, you know, uh, could get out and move around, I guess. 
It sounds like you were there in the worst possible time in Haitian. Well, I don't know. I think all of Haitian oh, history no. is rough. It's so but. bad, right? It's so much worse right now. I look at it every day. It's way worse. Way, I mean, like infinitely worse right now than it was when we were there. I just remember in the wake of the earthquake watching a special on the situation and this guy, you know, he was sleeping with his kid basically under a just this makeshift shelter because they were all yeah. everything was leveled. And um, he went to bed every night with his child tied to him because this kind of predatory, yeah, yeah, this kind of abuse was just so prevalent that he tied his kid to him. So you went when that was going down. Yeah. And everyone was mega uh, uh, desperate because they didn't have homes and didn't have food and all those kinds of things. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still that that's, and that's been the case. You know, I talked to some missionaries that had been there off and on at least since the 1980s. And they said, you know, when we would ask, Oh, is this earthquake damage? Is this from the earthquake? They're like, it's always been this way. It's always been. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But you had this uh, orphanage shut down, right? So not actually, I, I, that's the easiest way to explain it, but mm-hmm. what actually happened, they weren't shut down, but all the children were removed. So, and as far as I know, still to this day, they haven't acquired any new children. And so how did you do that? So that was a long <laughs> process. And the, the biggest thing was documenting evidence of physical abuse. So the children showed up to our house, two different cases of uh, evidence of physical abuse. And one of the guys in my discipleship group, and this was all, I mean, I had, I had some guys in my discipleship group and they were kind of like my uh, guides to Mm -hmm. Haitian culture. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I would pray about. God, send me allies, send me people Mm -hmm. who can interpret to me cultural stuff, you know, and, and he did. And Especially one of the guys, when I had this documented stuff, he said, oh, I have a neighbor that's a police officer. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, let's go talk to him. We went and talked to him. And it's just this police officer. The first thing he told me, oh, I've just been put on a force uh, to work with this kind of these kind of cases. And mm-hmm. so so that was, you know, just uh, that's how, that's how it got started, I guess, was evidence of physical abuse that was, that I could document, you know, visually in photos and videos, and then, uh, connected with the Haitian uh, authorities that were, you know, that, that dealt with this kind of thing. I wonder if you guys weren't afraid for your safety. Oh, oh, all the time I would get literally, you know, I would either, I I did get texts that said, you know, that that had death threats in them and the manner of death that they were going to use to kill us. Mm. And uh, so I would get those kind of threats from, from individuals. And then I would also get, you know, just from our friends, Hey, what are you doing today? Are you at your house? Hey, maybe you don't want to leave your house today. You know, that kind of stuff. And I would get that regularly. Um, So those were, those were the threats on us, but probably the bigger thing was, is there, I, so I, uh, the, the police came, they investigated and they, they found like we, the main thing we would tell the kids, tell your parents, call your parents, tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. If the authorities come, just tell them the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, tell them what's going on. Mm -hmm. That's all we would tell them. Just tell them the truth. And so 
the authorities did come. It seemed like they found that things that all the things were true and they needed to act, but something stopped it. And I could, I could only, Money. you know, imagine <laughs> that that would be my guess, mm-hmm. uh, but everything just came to a halt. And so then I felt like things needed to move forward again. And through the help of a connection, actually at Samaritan's Purse, um, they connected me, so a person at Samaritan's Purse on the field in Haiti connected me with a journalist for Radio Caraib. And it would be aired all through the Caribbean and in France. And they did an interview with me and I did the interview in Creole mm-hmm. and, and told what was happening. And after that video, things just really uh, went to hyperspeed. I yeah. don't know, but the, the, but there was an immediate backlash. The immediate backlash was a subpoena to me to go to Haitian court with a defamation lawsuit against Ooh. me. <clears throat> and so that was scary. That I was really that was scary. scary. Going to a, a third world, you know, uh-uh. court courtroom. And I mean, it, really this little room with no electricity, no air conditioning with bars on the windows because that's, you know, uh, and this concrete room and, and a whole bunch of people packed into this little room and a judge mm. was in there with all these accusations being hurled at me. And I had, I hired a, uh, I guess a team of attorneys, three, uh, it, I just asked, you know, okay, who can I hire to advocate for me? And, uh, I had a translator that went with me who was also one of the guys in my discipleship group. Even though I could speak the language okay, you know, I, I needed an interpreter and attorneys. Yeah. And so, you know, I just prayed a lot before going into there and just felt, I mean, but that was scary. That was, that was almost scarier than having my life threatened. Um, sure. Just being overwhelmed like that. And, and so, but the, the good thing that came out of that was, was that it moved things forward uh, you know, it exposed a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so the, the judge basically just said, all right, you know, I'm not making any decisions today. I'm going to investigate this for myself. And then it was because of that, you know, that uh, I, I didn't ask to go to court. <laughs> I was brought into court. I was pushed into that situation, but just the truth came to light in that, you know, by the grace of God and, and that uh, that judge would not be corrupt. Exactly. Yeah, you know, so... I don't know all what happened. I know this. This is the thing that I can say for sure is that I made a commitment when I went to Haiti that I would not pay bribes. And I, I held on to that commitment. I held on to the commitment that I was going to follow their systems, you know, and I was going to trust the Lord with the results. Mm. And I, I held on. Now I can say <laughs> that I, I, I suffered greatly and my family did because of that commitment. And it would be hard to go back and say that I would make that same commitment because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> right. You uh, didn't realize. Your eyes are open right. now. And the bribes are right. part of their but, system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I did hold on to that and, and, and followed through with that. And uh, the Lord blessed that. Uh, and, and so because of um, that, that courtroom experience, it wasn't much longer before I got a call um, from a guy that was who was helpful to me. And I this this might you know if you see stuff that I, I'm gonna 
I'm going to take a segue, but it's going to lead us to, you know, the, the main point that I was, I was trying to make about how it all culminated. Mm-hmm. Because right now, when you look, if you read the, the news, even on my Google feed, there's a lot of stuff that's, that you see with Haiti at the moment and gang leaders. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say that not all gang, it's not the same as gangs here necessarily. Sometimes it is, but not all gang leaders Are necessarily bad. have bad intentions. You know, right. that that's not their intent. It's just the way that they've found to survive, the way that the economy works and, and other things. And, and I actually did a if you're, you know, if any of the listeners are interested, I did a, like a, a lessons learned seminar that's on my website uh, that I could point you to if you want to know, you know, the details of this yeah. experience and, and those kind of things. But, but anyway, one of the gang, le- a guy that was considered a gang leader, uh, but also held a position of real authority called Kazek. And it's kind of like a sheriff type position, mm-hmm. but only administrative not mm. with the actual power to do anything. It's like an administrative sheriff type position in the town. He was very helpful to me. And he, I didn't, he had nothing to gain from it and everything to lose is what I felt like. And he stuck his neck out because I felt like he really cared about kids. Mm. You know, I would ask people about this guy. They're like, Oh, he's bad. You know, he's a bad guy or whatever, but I came to be connected with him and, I would just talk to him and I would pray for him and he would just, uh, and he didn't claim to be a a believer at all. In fact, his dad was a voodoo priest. And uh, I know that there was some level, you know, that was kind of his practice. Uh, But he would ask me, are you praying for me? I'm like, yeah, I'm praying for you. Well, God could use anybody. Oh, he did. And he, he got me, he got me and, uh, an audience with the town mayor because mm-hmm. I just asked him, you know, Hey, is there anything you can do to help me? He got me an audience with the the town mayor and, you know, during all of this and, um, and I got a call from him one day, this kind of gang leader guy. And he just said, make sure you stay at home today. Don't go anywhere. But by this time tomorrow, all the kids will be out of that orphanage. And so I just stayed at home (laughs) and, uh, you know, the next thing I knew all the, basically all the, all, it didn't happen all at once. So it happened in waves. So all of the youngest kids got removed first. Mm -hmm. And then I, I saw posted on Facebook, Hey, we just got eight kids in our orphanage, you know, and and we had a a Haiti Facebook group. We just got eight kids in our orphanage. The, the Haitian social services dropped them off. We don't know their names. They gave them no pay. They gave us no paperwork to go with them. We don't know anything about them. Will you, you know, is anybody out here know what's going on? And I was like, Oh yeah, I know what's (laughs) going on. So we contacted that orphanage and they, they got it. They gave us, I guess, pictures of, of the, I guess, eight kids. I can't remember exactly now where went to their orphanage. They were, they were all between, they're all right, right around like ages kind of, I don't know, six, seven and eight. And how old were your kids at this time? Oh, my, my kids were all teenagers. So like, uh, all the way from, I guess my daughters, I'm trying to even remember now. So you can do the math. My daughters are, are 18 and they were, and they 18 now. And that was 20, 
16 when all of that was happening. So however, then my daughters are the youngest and I've got a 22 year old son and a 23 year old son. And so however old they were right. uh, then, but right around teenagers. And, but anyway, I guess because they had taken all the kids in waves, um, I had the pictures and I went and one of the kids that was, would meet with me from that orphanage every day and I would feed him. I brought the pictures to him and he told me all the names. And so, and, and so I sent back all of the names to the orphanage and basically by the next day, I think all of the children were removed. Hmm. So, so it took a, it took a few days, it seems like. Um, And so did any of, or would those kids go back to their parents at that point or? That is a good question. So all, there was a few cases, very interesting. Cause I had, like, I would la- allow the kids to call their parents from my phone. Mm-hmm. And so some of the parents had my phone number mm-hmm. and uh, I think I even gave them like my phone number written down and told them to keep that, you know, if, if something mm-hmm. happened and they needed me. And I got a call from one, uh, maybe a week later, and he was calling me from his dad's phone. And he just said, Hey, I just wanted you to know I'm back with my dad and mm. I'm okay. I'm okay now. Everything is good now. And so that was one, the, the one kid that I had the closest connection with that I don't think he had any immediate family. He may have had some extended family, but I have no idea what happened to him. Like no contact after that ever again. Uh, mm. So that was, I just uh, pray for him. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, but I don't know. I have no knowledge. And then, the the kids that went to that other orphanage, the good orphanage, um, we were asked by that orphanage to kind of come and and help out to figure things out with them, and we did. And all of those children that were in that orphanage were eventually reunited with family, and it oh, took. Nice. Two of them, a pair of brothers, a year, uh, but they were eventually reunited with their mother. And that orphanage even stepped up and they were like, you know, we're just not turning them over. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to do a reunification process where make we make sure, sure yes. that the mom it, has even, supplies. You know, just, yeah, exactly. That not only yeah. supplies, but uh, like vocational training and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Since we are a ocean-based podcast, I think we definitely have to go to what, you know, is diving, is the free diving something that you, was healing for you? And and is that part of your aftercare? It could have been more traumatic for him, actually. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, the free diving class, your, your intermediate class was very challenging, very challenging. And so uh, I didn't leave from there necessarily built up, but I, I left there with a lot of a lot of tools that that are transferable that I've been I've been working on some. I mean, I, the, the main my main hold up actually with free diving has been uh, a qualified partner to train yeah. with. And so I'm not comfortable doing the level of free diving that we were doing in your class or even remotely close to that without a qualified, you know, free diving uh, buddy. And so hopefully, you know, I'm just praying about that. And when God provides that, I will act on it. But until then, it basically God has laid in my lap lots of scuba opportunity. So I have been 
you know, just seizing the opportunities that God's given me. And that has been very healing. Uh, I still uh, very much want, I have a strong desire to, to free dive, uh, but just the opportunity hasn't been as great. But I guess, and, and this will be, I, I will answer this specifically, you know, the diving and healing part. So one of the things when a, you know, that, that can get, I guess, hot wired or off track when you deal with trauma, especially complex trauma, you know, uh, those kind of things is your fight or flight response. And so your autonomic nervous system kicks in, you get shallow breathing, dry mouth, sweaty palms, dilated pupils, all those things happen and it's an automatic response. Well, one of the only things we have control of when that response happens is our breathing. So if we can, if we can stop that shallow breathing and take three deep breaths, it can actually reverse the response and begin to settle your body down. And so the focus on, you know, the diving and breathing, you know, they go hand in hand. So even with free diving with scuba, both of them, you have to pay attention to your breathing. And that has been very healing for me. So, uh, you know, anytime that, that something is triggering, remembering first and foremost to breathe and mm. to, to, to stop and breathe. And, and so that is, those, that's been incredible for me. Yeah. The, the free diving offers another level of complication though, because <laughs> you don't just have your trauma that might be kicking in or, or, or being triggered, but you have the immediate panic response yeah. that, that people without a, a lot of trauma are experiencing. So it's, right. it's twofold. It's twice that you have to, um, but I, don't you think that's that? part of what free, what makes free diving something that is, um, if not healing, it's therapeutic for people who have experienced yeah. trauma because it helps to bring you into the immediate moment, mm -hmm. like yeah. mindfulness Yes. And, yes. Yes. The body scans, like doing the respirations and, mm -hmm. and doing the body scan. Hey, where am I feeling tension? You know? Mm -hmm. And then the deep or the breathing. Vent ventilation. Sorry. Ventilations. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> ventilations. She was going to correct you. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of people come through the class for the, that express purpose, kind of okay. what you're, but we haven't yet developed a class that's just for that's aimed just at kind of, you know, addressing trauma. I do right. have a friend I want to hook you up with. Um, his name is Ben Durbin. And then we had his partner, I mean, like business partner, Carly, come into our class. And they're both working on um, using scuba for mindfulness. Okay. You know, with all these kinds of things. And I think that's great. But I said, man, freediving is a, uh, in my opinion, anyway, and I'm, I'm yeah. a much better application because I, I agree. One, one of the things that I like about freediving better is that it's totally silent. Mm -hmm. You know, with scuba, there's so much noise, uh, mm -hmm. the, the bubbles and, and like you said, the gear, like all that stuff just is so loud. 
but free diving, taking that immersion underwater and the, the, the true like Jacques Cousteau, you know, the silent world. But on scuba, it's not silent. <laughs> With free diving, it is silent. And you get that pressure. The pressure, too, is like a big hug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Uh, yeah, they're saying. Yeah, I agree with the free diving. Yeah. Well, I need to hook you up with them because they. I think they're. That's what their next endeavor is: is to try to um, develop something more specific to free diving. And I think you should try okay. it again. I would. Yeah. Oh, I. I have every intention to. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, do we? Should we drift on into God Waters? Yeah. Before that, I do want to mention that you're going to be writing a book, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So that's another thing that I actually had to kind of put on hold. Um, mm-hmm. What I did, I have I have my blogs uh, and that's available through our website, which documents a lot of this. One of the things that kind of took a big hit was my writing. And it used to be a relief and a release for me, but... It just came under such uh, scrutiny from church leadership that it it really took a hit. And so I began to I began this process. I was going to write a, a book about Haiti and fill in the blanks. And that was my you know the things that my blogs do not explain, and also having a newer perspective because I, when I wrote those, some of them are very immediately emotional charged. I was in the thick of it when I wrote those, and so now with a new perspective. Um, well, and with an I, audience in mind, because I think oh, yeah, before exactly. you were writing for you, this, yeah, exactly. this you will be also writing for you, but in a mm-hmm. more uh, purposed manner to share something. And yeah. I'm curious if, you know, since you've moved out of the Southern Baptist you know, umbrella, if you feel more freedom to I really do feel share. more freedom. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. Yes, I feel a lot more freedom to to share uh, honestly. But I, what happened? I I started on the process. I hired a writing coach and got basically an intro, a chapter breakdown, and some other things, and really was enjoying my time with the writing coach too. Uh, but I didn't expect to <laughs> those emotions to to come back so powerfully when I began to put pen to paper, and I was yeah. just like, I can't do this right mm-hmm. now. And, yeah, uh, I, I I hope to. I, I it think might I'll be five years from now. Yeah, you know, but I I, time. I couldn't do it. I mean, it was really, uh, it was like opening those wounds again, and I I think I need some more time before I can I can do that. Yeah, that sounds and my like blogs wisdom. do exist, and like the the videos exist of the seminar that I did. So there's a lot of stuff that is that I put together right after I got back from Haiti that I wanted. I wanted not only the church, but anybody. When somebody, the main one of the main things is I want somebody to feel the freedom to say no with without guilt when somebody puts a picture of a child in front of your face and says give. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to say no and not have any guilt <laughs> by right. saying no. Because, and not that you don't want people to give <laughs> That's and, exactly help, and right. help orphans, but you want yeah. people to make sure that the money that they're sending is not enslaving yeah. children. Exactly. Yeah. Um, whew. That's going to be an informational book. Yeah. 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 But I, I encourage you... Um, 
with with the writing is give yourself the time because mm. I, I wrote in my book there's a couple of things that are true stories but I've written fiction but okay. I couldn't have written it you know it's been 20 years you know mm -hmm. so yeah. I could have a out a perspective it's probably not going to be 20 years for you it may be a couple years where you're like Okay, now I can revisit it without opening a wound that maybe isn't supposed to be open. You could be more objective yeah. about it. You can be it. healed, yeah. be in a, a from a place of healing where you're where I think it'll be more valuable then to yeah. to the to your readers. And then um the other thing I was just going to say is there's a Christian writers group called Word Weavers that is international, that is, you can do it online, but there may be one in your area. If you Google Word Weavers, you can search chapters, but it's a very supportive Christian um, writers group that's a critique base. So, you know, they, you can bring uh, 500 words, 200 words, a yeah. thousand words, and somebody's going to read it and then they're going to critique it in a sandwich oh, method. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. That's so, really cool. And it's free. I mean, well, Word Weavers is $30 a year, mm -hmm. but you'll okay. also get scholarships to um, writing conferences where oh, you're going to meet wow. other writers or take classes. And I think that's been very helpful that's for me. That's a great way maybe for um, Laramie to start so he's not feeling overwhelmed by the emotional aspect. Just start real kind of slow and... Mm -hmm. playful with other people that are writing and yeah 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 that's a that's a good idea yeah um for the devo i mean this whole episode's been kind of out there and and maybe in some ways critical of the bigger c word the church mm -hmm. and yeah and I know that's not your intent, but I mean, yes, there is changes that need to be made. And, and who's better to voice them than people that are yeah. in the church? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but this, I've been reading um, Timothy Keller's uh, Proverbs yeah. devotional. Okay. And um, this made me think of you, but those who give to the poor will lack nothing. And those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And... You know, a lot of people take that verse and say, oh, well, I just give generous and then I'm going to be more prosperous. But <laughs> the second clause gives us a hint at what why financial generosity can enhance material security. Selfish people get curses from the community around them. Thus, the generous get the blessings of the community. And I feel like your story hits on that a little bit because you were in the community and yeah. you upheld some of the righteousness that the other neighbors maybe weren't, you know, like you didn't take bribes or you didn't mm -hmm. make bribes or, or whatever, but you were shown to be trustworthy in the community. Yeah. There was blessing there from some other community members like yeah. the judge or the even the gang leader. The gang who, leader. Yeah. yeah. He earned street cred yeah. with the gang leader, yeah. probably and, through your righteousness. Yeah. And uh, the prayer that's at the bottom of the Devo, I'm not going to read the whole Devo, was just, Lord, to live as a rugged individualist is not your will for me, and it leaves me vulnerable. Change my heart. <laughs> Change my heart and strengthen the church so we, your people, can truly be members of one another. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that, 
there's a, a story that I would like to share kind of uh, yeah, as a perfect. closing to the, to the Haiti story that yeah. talks about God and his, you know, bringing his people together. And I've never shared this uh, publicly anywhere and very little privately. Um, but I, I ended up, so I went to a clinic for 45 days uh, early this year. So um, uh like late January through March and in there in the clinic, in the same clinic that I was in, there was a, a Haitian girl and she had grown up in Haiti, but uh, her mom was American. And so she was in America going to, to take in university classes. And, but anyway, I met this girl and we were able to speak Creole together and we both had a lot of burdens from Haiti that we were carrying around and we would sing Creole hymns uh, on Sundays together. And <clears throat> But there was this one incident that happened that was so God ordained uh, that was just incredible. So when I was in Haiti, the spiritual oppression was very apparent and very you know in your face like you could see it feel it you know and mm -hmm. and so there were tan learning to have tangible things like i don't know like you know like holy water you know water that had been blessed and asked mm -hmm. god to bless you know putting that around things asking god to bless oil and anointing my windows with oil those kind of things i mean it, it just symbolic and very things that you could see and touch you know it was like um, but one of the things I did is I made a cross, a wooden cross out of a piece of wood that the Haitians normally make charcoal out of because it's a fast growing tree. Mm -hmm. So I just had those everywhere. So I made a, a little cross out of this and just kind of poured some water on it, asked God to you know cleanse it and anointed it with oil, asked God to, to bless it. And I carried this around with me and I had carried it around uh from Haiti back to here to Slovenia to France. And I had even, it was one of the only things that I brought into the clinic with me because I would just hold on to it when I would pray. And uh, one night when I was in my bed praying, I felt like God was telling me to give it to this Haitian girl. Hmm. And uh, that it was a cross, a burden that I had been carrying around mm -hmm. that wasn't really mine. I was carrying a piece of Haiti uh with me that mm -hmm. didn't necessarily belong to me it was it was not my burden to carry but because she was haitian it was hers and uh so i gave this cross to her and we shed a whole bunch of tears mm. <laughs> when i gave it to her but i just told her you know i'm like god has told me you know here to lay this cross this burden of haiti down but it because it's not mine it's not this, this, this cross doesn't belong to me because it's, it's not a part of my country, but it's a part of your country and uh, it's your burden to carry. And so I gave it to her and she was just crying and crying. She said, you know, this, um, this means so much because I, my mom is not Haitian. And she says, growing up in Haiti, I always felt disconnected. Uh, but mm. I want Haiti to be my country. I mm. want, you know, these, I want to, to go and make a difference in Haiti. I, you know, I, I love the things that, that are Haitian about me, but I feel like they didn't belong to me because, you know, I'm half Haitian. Oh, and so wow. she said, and so it was healing for both of us, but it was such a God ordained moment that, mm. you know, I'd made this cross in Haiti when I was going through the hardest times of all of that and then carried it you know, uh, um, 
like six years later or something, give it to a, wow. a, a girl that had no, you know, uh, it's only God could do that. You yeah. know, that's the introduction to your book, yeah. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's the story. Yeah. You're in the clinic, yeah. you're doing these um, things, you're at, yeah. uh, you know, trying to heal from everything you're going to be talking about in the book. And you have this connective moment with this girl. Yeah. Ashley's right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Laramie, for coming on the podcast and for just sharing a little piece of your story. I love that our podcast, uh, we are an ocean-themed podcast, and and we love that, that that little connection that you have with the ocean and yeah. diving brought you here. And so yeah. thank you for sharing your story with us. And um, we know that we just scratched the surface. We know that. But we're not Joe Rogan, so we can't do the three hour thing. Nobody likes us that much. Thank God. I, I don't think what. I could handle it. Me either. <laughs> I also I also like that for an episode we got to really explore um explore our faith mm-hmm. you know because we are we are christians and we do talk about god in our podcast and we always do the scripture at the end and everything but it was kind of nice just to dive in with somebody well and also that we're not going to cover up either you know like as uh, far yeah, as exactly. what's good and bad you know because right. we are human and there is the bad that's in the world can come into the church and yeah. um, if it's not, if light is not shed on, on the problems that come in, then it's, it's going to be uh, compromised. And so shadowed, yep. um, it's important to have open eyes and open ears to see the failings of the church so that we can do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Laramie, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah. Just stay on the line with us, okay? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thanks First, for having me. Guys, we're gonna we're gonna connect uh, with Laramie on the on the on the show notes. You know, we'll give you the the resources to his website and to the some of the Haiti stories and all those things. Otherwise, see you next time. Yeah. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know Please. if you like. Uh, like our podcast yeah or if you're listening yeah (laughs) just let us know you're out there yeah (laughs) all right bye everybody bye